Hi, welcome to the Afrocomb podcast. This is your host, Ropa, and I'm so excited to have you here. Listen, listen, this is a podcast where every single episode is an interview with a person of African descent living in Europe. So why don't you come along with me as I get to hear some of the most interesting, inspiring, heartwarming, and also funny stories from some really, really, really dope people. Yeah? Hello, my lovely. This is your host, Ropa, coming to you live with a hectic toothache. I swear there's n- like only a few things in life are worse than a painful tooth. I've been under the weather for more than a week now and I'm over it. It's awful. So I'm saying that to say I'm not going to talk much today. I'm just going to introduce you to our guest and cut straight to the interview. The one thing I do have enough strength to say, though, is if you have an Apple device and you still haven't reviewed this podcast in the podcasts app, I'm giving you silent treatment. I just want you to know that I'm angry, I'm upset with you, and you and I are not in a good place until you write a review or at least rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. So... Yeah, that's my one second of passive aggression that I had energy for. Without further ado, I would love to introduce you to today's guest. I really, really enjoyed this interview because, first of all, this is actually the, for now, the oldest person that we've had on um, the Afrocomb podcast. Uh, And the beautiful thing about speaking to someone from a generation before you is just like the number of gems and nuggets and wisdom that they have to drop um, without even realizing it. I just got so many pieces of advice that I've been applying to my own life ever since I had this conversation with him. So that's my favorite thing about this interview. And the awesome guest's name is uh, Olushola Oshinoiki. He is a British Nigerian uh, father of three and happily married. He's the senior director of people. So I guess like HR director at a very, very big e-commerce company. And he's had like a vast corporate career um, spanning from like PwC, Royal Bank of Scotland, Accenture, GlaxoSmithKline. Like he's worked for a lot of really amazing companies. And I think because of his his, his experience, you can tell from the conversation that he just has a lot of useful things for young people to hear. And um, Shola is also an author. He's written four books. And well, actually, he says he's written a lot more than that, but he's published four books. And I'm going to plug it all in at the end of the episode. So Make sure you stick around until then. And also make sure you review this podcast on Apple Podcasts before I I smack someone. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to smack anyone. But the point is, I'm just pleading to you all to write a review. In fact, you can even stop the podcast right now. 
go to the Apple Podcast app and write a review or just rate the podcast. It would, uh, I would appreciate it so much. So yeah, let's cut to the conversation. And like I said, stick around until the end so I can tell you all about where to find Shola and also what to expect from the next episode. Hello, how are you? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited. And the first question I have for you is, how do I pronounce your full name? So my full name is pronounced Olushola Oshinoiki. So the S is a sh sound? Yeah, it's a she. We have two S's in Nigeria, okay. on the Yoruba tribe. Okay. It's S for S and then sh. So it's got a H and an apostrophe under the S. I did not see an apostrophe. What? No, because oh, it's, it's not, not there. It's not there because we don't oh, write it like that. But when you call my name, it's Shola. So a lot of people now put H in front of their Sholas, but if I spell it correctly, it's without a H. So what you're telling me now is I've been saying it wrong this entire time. Yeah. <laughs> but you've only said it once on this podcast. Okay, so. awesome. So from this point on, smooth sailing, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I'm, really, I'm really thrilled to have you here. First thing I want you to tell us about is your babies because they're awesome. Three. So I have three, yes. three of them. So blessed with a son called Olu, who's mm -hmm. studying photography at Bristol University. Awesome. Uh, I have a daughter, um, Ola. She's 17, studying at BBIS mm -hmm. in Germany. Um, and then my youngest, Oyilola. So, so yeah. there's the, the Ola thing we, we stuck yeah, with. Oh, well, there's an Olu. There's Olu, but my full name is Olu Shola. So, oh, there you go. So, so there's yeah, an Olu. There, there, there's that what connection. is your wife's name? Moron Kumbi. Okay, so there's no... There's no there. connection. Where, where's your wife from? Nigeria. Also Yoruba? Also Yoruba. How did you guys meet? We met in university. Hey. I was studying civil engineering. Okay. And she was studying economics. Oh, wow. And which, which country was this? This was in Nigeria. This was in Nigeria. Yeah. Okay, so you grew up in Nigeria, studied there. Well, let me kind of, if you want to go that way, Let's let me start it for you. Okay. I was born in London. Wow, all right. Okay, I was born in London. My dad was studying in the UK. Okay. And then when we were, when I was eight years old, uh, with two of my sisters, we returned back to Nigeria in 1976. Okay. Uh, and then I lived in Nigeria, did my, finished my primary school, secondary school, and then I went to university in Nigeria, which is where I met my fiancé. Yeah. And then after I finished my degree, worked for the government for a year, my fiancé had transferred had moved to the UK. She'd moved okay. to the University of Manchester. So I thought, you know what? I better follow that baby. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay, so what year did you guys did you guys meet? We actually met in the year 1990. And what song was, like, trending? Like, what was, like, the Ooh. love song for you guys in 1990? Five years before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing that comes to my mind is, when the beat goes on. Nothing. No bells ringing. Nothing. I have no clue. <laughs> That's Michael Jackson. Yeah. That's Michael Jackson? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. So um, then you followed your... Fiancé at your the time. Fi Fiancé at the time. Yeah. Moved to which city? Moved to Manchester, Manchester. in the UK. Okay. Yeah. And lived there, basically lived outside of Nigeria since then. Yes, lived out of Nigeria since then. So, wow. So finished in, in, in my university degree, civil engineering, uh, worked for the government as a civil engineer, building roads, uh, bridges, and 
houses in um, a very remote part of Nigeria. Uh, and then when I came to the UK, bam, it was 1993, there were no jobs. There were no civil engineering jobs. And oh, wow. I applied to 80 companies and I got... Eight zero. Eight zero. And okay. I got rejection every single time. Even before I got here. So even before I got to the UK, I already wow. done that. You got 100% rejection. Oh, yeah, 100%. And um, the people that were kind were like, well, if I was going to hire anybody, I'll hire the people I fired last month. So why would I hire somebody new who doesn't understand the building regs of um, the UK? You mm. studied abroad. And, you know, so those are the kind people that actually gave me a full answer. So I kind of, on the plane into the UK, bearing in mind that I only went to the UK because my fiancé was there. So I was like following the love. Love is a beautiful <laughs> thing, man. Yeah. And as I was landing into the UK, I made up my mind that I wasn't going to go and sign on and get free money from the government. I was going to do whatever job was available. So I asked my fiance at the time. Okay, quick question. Where yes. was your family at this point? So your my, dad, you were born there, right? I was born in London, but right. then my whole family moved back in 76. The whole family yeah, moved back we to moved Nigeria. We moved back with all my sisters and okay. everybody. So we were now living in Nigeria. I see. And so I was on my own. This was you were, just me. You were entirely Solo. on yeah, your own. Yeah, Got just it. Try, okay. trying to find a pathway. Got it. And um, yeah, so I asked my wife to look around and the only jobs that were available were security. So... As a civil graduate, the first <laughs> first job I did in the UK was a security guard. What were you guarding? Uh, I did many different things, but mainly I was guarding the market at night. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What What did you learn from that that you think you've carried with you throughout since then? I, I think what I learned from that is that what you do doesn't define you. Um, who you are is who you are. Yeah. The job you do doesn't define you. The yeah. fact that I was doing a security guard job, earning two pound fifty an hour, um, working on, <laughs> <laughs> working a seventy two hour week, didn't define who I was. I was still a civilian graduate. I was yeah. still a graduate with honors, and I'm still the guy that built bridges and roads. Just that right. in this particular moment in my life. I was a security guard. And I can also imagine how difficult it is to get to that point of accepting it because civil engineering, I would imagine in Nigeria, is so prestigious, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's really a blazer that you can put on and say, hi, I am a civil engineer yeah. and make that your identity. So it must have been quite tough. And how long were you a security guard for? So I had two, I had two streams. I had the first nine months. Um, yeah. So one, you said, what did I learn? So the other thing I learned was whatever you... I saw, sorry, yeah, yeah go ahead. So the, the one thing that I learned was, one, you know, your job doesn't define you. The second thing I learned was, whatever you are doing, be the best at it. So I made hey. up my mind that, okay, I'm a security guard. This is what I'm doing. And I asked them, so what's, how do, what do you do? So you move from, you know, guarding buildings to guarding people. And, and so I said, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to kind of move and progress in this security model and begin to guard people. So I started doing shops and, and stuff. And then mm. I realized that there was something different from being a, a plain clothes security guard. So that means you don't wear a uniform and mm. a uniform one. So I was a uniform one. So I went out and looked for another company that did plain clothes um, security. Because like, I wanted to be the best in this, right? So I wanted to kind of move the dial from my 250 to I at least that. 450. To 450, yeah. right. So, there so, you go. so that's <laughs> <laughs> and that's like almost double. Yeah, so, so that's yeah. what I did. So I, I moved into um, more. I, I I joke about this, but it's true. It was more bodyguarding, store detective in, and plain clothes. So it was more like a little bit, if you like, undercover. But I mean, 
other than the corporate, you can get other security guard. And I do have some claims to fame. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So one of them is the first Take That concert, and many people that are listening to this might not even know who that band was. I know. Did like do, one. Yeah. Like, yeah. So their first, <laughs> their first concert in Manchester that they did, I did security there. Oh, right on. Yeah. I mean, you you <laughs> take that T-shirt and you wear it for I, the rest wear of that. your life. Yeah, I wear that. <laughs> I wear that. And then also, for those who knew what Gladiators was... So there was a TV program where people fought each other. There was this guy called Shadow. Shadow was like six foot something and built with muscle. Mm. And me, tiny me, that's not even five eight. Um, I was his security guard. Oh wow! So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. So that's kind of my journey. So I probably spent about eighteen months in security. And one night I was doing a, my rounds of security job and. I was doing a care home, which I did 16-hour shift at. Right. And I just looked up one evening, and on the board there, it said, positive action for Caribbean and African graduates, University of Manchester. And I thought to myself, hey, I'm African. Mm-hmm. You're a graduate. I'm a graduate. This could be an opportunity. Right. So I got the form, filled it out. And as I was filling out the form, I was thinking to myself, how do I stand out? What do I do that's going to make this application like stand out? Like, right, right. That, that's going to really rock their world in my head. <laughs> um, and, I, and at the end, it says, any other comments? And at the end of it, I wrote, I will give you 101% commitment. Oh, I love and, that. And um, actually, it did the trick. Because um, at my interview, the deputy director normally does an interview for this role. He came in and said, I saw you wrote 101% commitment. What does that mean? And I said, well, it means I'm going to give you over and above what I said I'm going to give you. And he's like, so what have you been doing for the last 18 months? I said, I've been doing security. He said, okay, I'm going to change this interview around right now. And I'm not going to make it about any questions we pre-selected. I'm going to make this interview completely 100% about your life as a security guard. Tell oh, me about I love that. that. And tell me how you would secure this university. What was the role you were applying for? I was applying for a graduate placement. So it was really just a, a graduate placement to go into any sector. Oh, and, wow. And, just and he was way. like, let's talk about yeah, your let's, 18 let's, months. Let's talk about your 18 months because that's the experience that you have on, on your paper. So let's talk about it. So we talked about it. And then, and then he just said, okay, how would you secure the university? And if I'm honest, it was a combination of my 18 months experience and every probably detective novel I've ever read, and every film I've ever yeah, thought of. of course. <laughs> and um, as we finished the interview, he said... Um, I've noted three things that I'm going to actually implement come Monday. I think the interview was wow. on Friday. And, um, yeah, looking forward to working with you. And this is, I think, a testament to what you said earlier, that whatever you do, be the best at it. Yeah. Like, you kill it. and I think Just own it. Just own it and do it. Yeah. I love that. And then, okay, so you did civil engineering. Yes. What do you do now? So now I head up um, a global team. Um, where I implement people technology, so HR technology um, across the globe. Okay, so we are far away from bridges. We, we are far away from bridges. What but, happened? Like, well, what, what happened in the middle there? So I guess once I got the graduate placement, um, after the, there's a story in there, but anyway, at the end of the graduate placement, it was a one-year thing, and actually started and ended with me because um, the other guy who came in didn't declare that he had a... Um, um, what do you call it, uh, an issue with the police. Um, he was in a search, search and found, and they found drugs in his car. I mean, he wasn't guilty, but because he didn't declare it, they actually sacked him, 
and ended the program with me. So it was like, you'll be the first and only positive Caribbean oh, okay. black person okay. we're ever going to take. Right? So oh. the program started and ended with me. And at the end of my program, my boss looked at me and said, I don't want you to go. So I want you to write your own CV, um, write your own job spec, uh, whatever job you're doing now, because I made the job up myself, and mm. um, apply for it. 29 other people applied and I guess I got the job. And that was the beginning of my journey. And then somewhere along the line, I had to make a decision whether I was going to go into accounting, because now this role I was doing was an accounting role, yeah. or whether I was going to go into IT. So I had this opportunity to either become a programmer, a developer, or be an accountant. My dad's an accountant and a very, very good one. So I thought, let's not let's go not, there. Let's not try <laughs> let's that. Not, let's, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> let's not go that way. Let's try IT. And so, yeah, so I taught myself how to code in Visual Basic. And um, after two years, so after two years in the new role, uh, I got itchy feet and I was like, nah, I want to go out there and be a developer and be recognized as a developer, not a technical person mm. in a university. And so I went out, applied for different jobs, and yeah, somebody had faith in me and allowed me to be an analyst programmer. And there I started my journey in the world of technology. I One thing that I struggle with, like at this stage in my life, is making decisions so making decisions like do i need to do a master's or not yeah. i need to find a job should i look at consulting companies or should i look at it companies should i do this or should i do that and i like your story because it kind of tells me that there is not that much pressure on the decisions i'm making today like life seems to go anywhere it's yeah. like civil engineering security guard for some time now work in tech now HR as well has been thrown into it. Like yeah. it's been a journey yeah. and you just kind of go with it. Yeah, you do. And I, and I think one, that's another thing I've learned is that you, you take what's in front of you and just make the best of it. It's kind of what I said before, but just in a different way. I remember when I was working for PricewaterhouseCoopers and I went to this very, very senior um, partner there. And I said, so how do you choose what you do next? And he says, you just do what's in front of you and let the next thing worry about itself. And I, mm. that was a profound... I mean, he, he had a very senior role. And um, mm. what he was going to do next, he didn't know, but he was comfortable with that. And he had always lived comfortable with that. Mm. And I just kind of took that on. It's like, well, I mean, you, you play the card that's in front of you right now. That's that, and you played well. And you just tried to play well. <laughs> tried to play well. <laughs> okay, I love yeah. that. I love that. You tried okay. to play well. Okay. Because, you know, the, the reality is that you, you try and map out your career... And, you know, I've kind of changed careers like five times in my, in my, in my lifetime. And, um, and I might have one more change ahead of me. I don't yeah. know, right? But, um, but I've, I've kind of enjoyed the journey because a lot of it has always been a nudge from a friend or an opportunity mm. that opens up. Mm. And then you go for it or you get tapped on the shoulder for something. And then you realize, hold on a second, I got tapped on the shoulder to do something I didn't even know I could do. Mm. And then mm. all of a sudden you fall in love with it. So like the way I fell into consulting was accident. It was like I was working on a project and some of these guys said, you'll make a great consultant. And I was like, hmm. No, sounds okay, good. If okay. You, if you think so, then yeah. I, I applied and... That was it. That was it. Do you think there are consequences for making career changes? So, I mean, in the long run, no, right? In the long run, absolutely, like, you progress, life goes on. But in that short term where it's like you jump from one thing to another, are you, does the universe punish you in any way for it? 
So, I mean, I, I know part of this podcast is Afro on top of it. So, yes. so let's go Afro a little bit. But I think if you're a person of color um, outside your home country, you could say that you might get penalized if you mm. don't follow one path. Mm. But I would actually say my experience has been the opposite of that. So I now I'm in a domain where I, if I look around me, there is no people of my color around me at the leadership levels that I'm beginning to operate at. Right. But that's because I've consciously, deliberately, intentionally pursued um, a career not to prove a point, mm. but to satisfy my own personal desires for progress. Mm. So in one sense, I wouldn't say I'm colorblind. I'm just saying that I pursue career not based on I'm trying to prove a point or I'm not trying to prove a point. I just kind of almost fo follow the music. Mm. And if you keep at the back of your mind that you want to kind of be the best in what you're doing, it kind of drives you differently. Mm. Because you're not comparing. I'm not comparing myself to anybody. I'm trying to do my absolute best in and what I find, what I want in front of me. Right. And so, a couple of years ago, um, not a couple of, but like almost ten years ago, my, my boss comes to me and says, "I'm leaving the company, and I'm asking my boss to give you my old job, like literally oh, wow. two mm -hmm. levels up, and like because I think you can do it." And so mm. there I find myself in a completely new field. This is the HR field. I'd only been nine months in this field. Oh, wow. And, wow. and I was only nine months in it because a friend of mine said, you'll be good at doing this. Mm. And so I applied for a job and I got it and I'm nine months in. I'm like, and then this guy gives me this job, his job, and he's been in HR for 15 years. And he's like, I'm recommending you take my place. Wow. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, mind blown. I have to, the question was, do I move to the US or do I do this role from here? The point is that I spent 18 months living in Philadelphia, North Carolina, running this program. And when I finished it, I was like, oh my goodness, I, I like this. This, yeah. is, I, I, like, this, is, this, this is, is it. I, I stumbled into this by accident because an opportunity came. And then now I think to myself, 16 years ago, I was like, yeah, I'm going to make a career of this. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw myself into this. And that's what I did. And um, and here you are. Here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what other, um, you mentioned that, like, as a person of color living outside of their home country, it might, you might be getting penalized for, yeah. you know, not having a consistent career path or whatever. In what other ways do you think, at least from your journey, people of color get penalized, either, like, consciously subconsciously, directly, indirectly, for certain decisions or certain choices that otherwise you wouldn't get penalized for if you were, like, let's say, British. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's part of it. So one of the things I do know is yeah. that um, people of color, especially people of color from outside the country of mm. question, UK, Germany, whatever you might, US, you have, you're always at a disadvantage because you haven't grown up and haven't schooled in that environment to mm. kind of understand mm. what kind of network you need to build for the marketplace that's in front of you. Mm. So if you went to 
primary school in the UK and you went to secondary school in the UK, you've already built a whole lot of friends, whether they're friends that beat you up in the, in the playground or not. <laughs> but, but at least you know somebody yeah. who knows somebody. So when you go and apply for a job or you go onto LinkedIn, you can see an old schoolmate who knows the company. You yeah. can bring them up and say, hey, John, I'm about to apply for your company. What's your benefits like? What's your pay like, right? Because you've got an insider because you kind of grew up in that culture. Right. And so when you come from an outside and you just land, boom, you're like an outsider looking in. You, you, mm. you have no network. You have, you have no understanding of what should a 25-year-old person mm. graduate be doing mm. at this time in their career mm. because you have no frame of reference. Right. And I think that does disadvantage you. But what you need to do then is to turn that disadvantage into an advantage. Okay. And that is to say, okay, you got to double up. Right? right, so you got to double up. You got to build networks, not just because of you're trying to get a job, but just generally because you never know yeah. when you're going to need it. Yeah. And I guess I could say to some degree that you know me going into consulting was because I I built a network with the people I was working with. You know, right. they didn't know me from Adam, they didn't know my background, but I just went into a working relationship with them, yeah. and then they made the suggestion to me that literally changed my career. Right, and so and then I've learned um, that. Building networks and building connections is primary, it's key, it's, it's fundamental yeah. to working in business. And the kind of business I then worked in for the next 10 years of my life as a consultant, every single person you meet is a potential customer. So it changes mm. the way you interact. With people. So you, you build long-term relationships. And when I was working for Accenture, we, we, I, we built relationships differently from when I worked with PwC. And that was because PwC, as a company, was an auditor. And so they were always looking for long-term relationships. Accenture was just looking for the next big job. Mm. And so even in consulting, there are different types of consulting. Right. And you kind of build different kinds of networks. Right. And... And to your point, back to your point, is that, yes, there might be things that disadvantage us, but I just say to myself... You turn it you, around. You just turn it around and, and you double up. And do you, Okay, one last question yeah. regarding this networking thing. Yeah. How important is it to network with either other Africans or other people of color? So in building that network, was it important for you to make sure that, okay, I actually also need to connect with people that look like me, or you built a network and... I, I think generally people make a mistake, right? This is my view, right? Okay. Remember, this is my view, not... Yes. I'm not this a psychologist. This is the solar <laughs> yeah. Yes. So <laughs> my, my view is that a lot of people kind of go onto LinkedIn and look at people of the same color, yeah. but they network with them, and I'm asking them the question, why? Mm-hmm. Like, the whole idea of having a mentor is because you want to go where they've gone, right? The whole idea of connecting with people is because you want some kind of benefit out of that connection right and so for me if i mean i, I think i checked last night i have eleven thousand nine hundred connections on what? linkedin yeah okay but they're gonna be people of people i've worked with people i've met in in social settings people i've met in church settings people i've met but but i i intentionally make linkedin a business relationship focus mm. and then my friends 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 are on facebook or, okay. Yeah, okay. I'm cool. old school, right? Yeah. But yeah, but or, or Snapchat or whatever you want to put them. <laughs> but my point is that when you when no, you, you don't have Snapchat, no. I I do have Snapchat. Are you kidding? I do have, and <laughs> by the way, I do have TikTok. Oh my goodness! <laughs> there you go. Feel free to let everyone on the like listening know what your TikTok handle is in case you want them to follow you. But what? Okay. Okay. Continue. So uh, the key the key point is that 
you build networks mm. to increase your net worth. Hey. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. That's that's why you build a network. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, is that person you're connecting with in any way, shape, or fashion going to help you improve your net worth? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. A couple of days ago, um, a friend of mine, he, he ran us, he was the CEO of a large advertising agency in the UK. He became the global CEO, and then he decided to step away from that and go and work for Apple. Mm -hmm. And so I pick up the phone to him, he's in my network. Uh, and then we, we have a common faith. And I pick up the phone and said, how did you do that? Hmm. I mean, how did you do that? How did you go from being the master of the ship to now being somebody else in a, in a big organization? And just that discussion was enlightening. And hmm. I personally took a step forward in my career and prepared me for the weeks ahead that was going to be difficult because he gave me a thought. Yeah. It was just one thought. He gave me a thought. Like about... you shared with us. <laughs> well, yeah, the thought yeah, yeah. he shared with me was the higher you go in the organization, your ability to do stuff is less important as your ability to tell the story of what you've done. Whew. Okay. Yeah? Okay. So your ability to do something. Like when you're low in your career, like as a security guard, my ability to secure a building was more important than me telling the story of how I secured that building. Okay. But my bosses at that time had to tell the story of how my individual action and the collective action of everybody else makes us the money we have to be able to pay the salaries we need to pay mm. and to make us the organization mm. we need to be. Okay. And so when you're at the level of a C-suite, you've got to be more telling stories. Nobody cares whether you can code in Python when you're at the C-level. Okay. Because we assume... You either can or you got people who can. And so you're not in this table or in this conversation because you can program in Python. Right. I don't care if you can. I don't even care whether it's Python, Java, C++. It doesn't really matter to me. When you're at this level, at the C, C level, and I'm using my hands to kind of show yeah. the level, um, <laughs> yeah. it, it is really about storytelling. It's the story. Do you know that excites me so much <laughs> because I'm like life is about stories. Yeah. And let's let's tell and collect stories. And it's I've never looked at it this way. Yeah. That literally the C suite, you're telling stories. But you're telling stories. Yeah, you don't go into a C suite and say, Oh, I know how to do Excel. Who cares? Nobody cares whether you did Excel yeah, like, or you use Google Sheets. Who cares? I don't really care. All I want to know is can you tell me the story of why we're not making profit this week? And period. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> So, okay. so yeah. and I guess, you know, I did, I'm at that stage in my career where I'm deciding, do I want to be chief doer or doer par excellence, mm -hmm. or do I want to be the guy telling the story? Okay. Is there, is there one that earns more? I would think the I, I would think the, the storyteller. Story <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. I want to I wanna know about, I, I mean... I love that we've explored your career and everything. But yeah. I want to know. So, what happened after you followed this girl? Yeah. We need to. We're gonna take it back, okay. but now we're gonna follow it from that direction to the point where now you have three beautiful kids. So, followed this lovely lady um, to to the UK, and um, she uh, finished her degree in the University of Manchester. And um, her dad at the time was not really liking the idea. Of us getting together, so okay. he pulled her back. To well, Nigeria. you were a rascal back in the I, day. No, I wasn't yeah. a rascal. Um, she she was a daughter of a multi millionaire, 
and oh. I am a yeah. humble commoner. A church mouse. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it, yeah. got it. Um, and another time we were going out, so I just finished um, working as a security guard, by the way. And um, at the time, I was applying to McDonald's or working in university. And her father was absolutely disgusted with the idea of her daughter's husband working in McDonald's mm. when he was a multimillionaire and mm. owned a couple of companies in Nigeria. Mm. Uh, anyway, long story short, um, she then comes back and goes to do a master's in the University of Liverpool. Um, she gets a distinction and then she's offered a job to work with the university as a co contractor. So way before um, contractors were really even a big thing, mm. um, she was working as a project manager contractor and um, but didn't even have the papers at the time to work and so the university employed her at risk and then they went ahead and applied for a visa there is a theme of like just actual grace like with both yeah. of you because I, I, that doesn't happen to everyone no it doesn't it really doesn't in your case it was with the man who interviewed you yeah. just like saying okay tell me about you as a security guard and then yeah. fast forward saying you write your job specs yeah i think this is really amazing yeah i just i think it's not the case like with a lot of especially when when you put this immigrant theme of like now the visa the permit da -da -da -da, there's so many people that are willing to close the door based on that alone yeah. close the door for you based on that alone and I, th I love that you and your wife were fortunate enough to come across people in your paths who were like you know what this is complicated but we'll find a way yeah I mean it took them seven months it. to find a way seven months yeah but they were so committed. she was working for seven months without wow. being paid so wow. she could work but she couldn't get paid Wow. Okay. And, and that story in itself is like an amazing story. Yeah. And um, and and people were tasked at a very high level. You got to get this visa. You working. need to make it work. You need to make. Oh, this I love work. that. Absolutely. And love and it. so you kind of have this sense of gratitude to God to have helped you on your journey. Yeah. And um, yeah, in in the first of July, nineteen ninety five, we got married in Manchester. And um, yeah, first of July, nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, so like a summer wedding. <laughs> yeah, it was a summer wedding. Was it outside? No, it was inside. Okay, but, but we we did have a, a garden, um, and unfortunately, um, my my in-laws at the time did not come to the wedding because they didn't approve. Yeah, uh, but the good news, I can quickly give you the good news because we don't have all day. But the good news was like five years later, they kind of came round. And we went back to Lagos and had the wedding of a lifetime. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, so. I, and a Yoruba wedding. Yeah, a Yoruba oh, wedding. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we, we had, had a multi oh. We had 2,000 people at the because wedding. Because why not? Why, yeah. why shouldn't you have 2,000? It, <laughs> it was live on radio, live oh, on wow. TV. Oh, my goodness. In the papers the next day. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, the story turned around. And um, before my father-in-law died, bless his soul, we became really, really good friends. And awesome. uh, so it was a complete turnaround story. So, right. yeah, so I followed her. We got married. When did uh, you have your first baby? We had our first baby, I think it was two years after we got married. It was, um, he was born in April of uh, 1997. And now this goes, this is like one of the things I've been wondering Raising a child, so you and your wife are proudly Nigerian. Yes. Raising your children, all three of them. British okay. Nigerian. British Nigerian. Yeah, let's, okay, let's, let's, put, let's put that in British, there. <laughs> British Nigerian. Yeah. Raising your children outside of Nigeria. What is like, what is the theme for you? What is, 
what's the what's the vibe like? Is it like yes, this is the best way possible that we could be doing this, or is it like maybe it would have been easier in Nigeria? Maybe maybe it would have been better in Nigeria. I really there's like a black box yeah. in my mind when it comes to that, right? And and we. I mean, I think I'm not going to tell the story for everyone who's yeah. in my position, but we were privileged to have had a different story. Okay. So, so my, so like you said, '97 um, we have we have my first child, um, and then a couple of years later we we tried again, and unfortunately we lost a child. Right. Okay. So, but I think that was a very important point in our journey because it made us value. The power of life, mm. yeah. And when you lose it, it kind of does something inside of you. And mm. in fact, both of us walked away from the hospital saying we would never have any more children. We're never going to put ourselves in this risk point again. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but you know, lo and behold, we 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 made it. We we went through counseling and came out the other side. Lots of prayer, and we're blessed to have now two amazing daughters and. My, the reason why I lay that down there is to say the journey hasn't always been straight. Right, um, it, right. it has had its bumps. Mm. But what we discovered, so um, I, I learned something. I'm a person of faith. So I learned something when my son was being born, standing outside the hospital room. And I've been blessed to you know, be the one to give my kids their first baths, every single one of them, because each one of them was okay. cesarean born. And so having this privilege... I had no of, idea that was a thing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes. <laughs> some people might know, okay. <laughs> particularly medical students. Right. Right. Anyway, but um, my, have, standing outside the door, when, uh, giving my son his first bath, and as I was giving him his first bath, mm. something came to my mind. I'm just a caretaker. Like, really, yes, my wife has given birth to this child, but ultimately, God is this boy's father and maker. Mm. And, and I, I, I learned in that moment with my first son that I'm merely a caretaker. a caretaker. And I just asked for God to give me grace to be a good caretaker. Oh, I love that. And I think my journey as a parent has been the idea of... And I wasn't raised like that. So it wasn't like I'm following my father's leadership mm. because my, mm. my father was really Nigerian right he was like a Nigerian studying in England like mm. I, he just wanted to get back home he, like he, right. he was like he right. was like let's study and just go home right mm. and and um but I did learn some things about my about patience about raising your kids and 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 I wasn't a good boy like I I didn't grow up um, we, we left we left that bit out I, I was a rascal boy right? right at the age of eight I ran away from home uh, oh yeah! Oh yeah! yeah. <laughs> okay. At the age of eight, I ran away from home. I ran away from home when I was eleven. Okay. Um, I I once in Nigeria, I was on the bus. I was thirteen years old, and I tried to pick somebody's pocket. And in Nigeria at that time, there was jungle justice. So you shout thief, and they get a tire, and they douse you with petrol, and you die. Oh right? no! So okay. And the guy Even if you're thirteen. Yeah, nobody cares. You're a thief. You're a thief. So okay. the guy looks me in the eye, the white of my eyes, and said, "You know, I can shout thief now, and you'll be burnt." But I think I just need to preserve your life. So get off this bus. And I got off the bus, and I thought to myself, "Do I stop stealing now?" Or what do I do now? Like, I've just literally seen a miracle. Yeah. And so 
I, I grew up a difficult child for my parents until yeah. I found faith. And when I found faith, I completely changed. I mm. was a completely different child. So I know the, the place that faith played in my journey. And so therefore, I, as a parent, regardless of where you raise your children, I, mm. I want to give them a platform of faith as a starting point, not mm. culture, even though that comes in in a second, and I'll explain that. But I want to give them that faith because that's what saves me, mm. right? And so fast forward to my son is 10 years old and um, privately educated uh, boy in the UK, went to one of the very prestigious secondary, primary schools in the UK, a Jesuit school, Mm. Learned loads, and one day he came home and said, Dad, what's all this about? You know, you're paying all this money to educate me, and the kids who don't pay this money, they have no plans to go to university, and why are you forcing me to, to even go down this path? Mm. And in that moment... A 10-year-old. A 10-year-old, okay. yeah. I, I, can, I can remember where we had this conversation, mm-hmm. was in the kitchen. And um, I turned to my wife, and I said, he's going to Lagos. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I, I think I need this guy to, one, know where he's come from. Right. And the value we place in our culture in Nigeria on education. Mm. And two, I thought, actually, culturally, you don't talk to your dad like that. <laughs> <laughs> so He's the, British Nigerian. He's so British Nigerian. They have, I know, I know. Yeah. But, but I'm, just, I'm just thinking that, yeah. not that I was... It wasn't the issue of what he was saying, but I realized that there was something missing yeah. in his value structure. And so, yeah, that very year, we shipped him out to Nigeria, and he hated it. And then he was in the boarding school. He was a... Oh, I thought you meant for like a no, sabbatical, no, no, no. for like no. a two-week visit. No, no, no. He went to study in Nigeria. For how many years? Um, for three. Okay. The first year, he hated it. Okay. Uh, and then the second year, my wife and my daughters, since it was such a good experience for him, at the end of the year he acknowledges, my wife and my daughters went to live in Nigeria also. Um, and my mm. wife set up a business there. And um, yeah, so they were there for three years. And Olu was there for three years too. Okay. And he would say, his words, not mine, that his experience in his journey of living in Nigeria and being educated in the Nigerian system, understanding where he came from, yeah. seeing the, the extent of his grandfather's wealth and the cultural mm. heritage and the, the pride of Africa, if you like, gave him something that even Harvard couldn't have given him. Mm. And so he came out of that experience more educated. And the thing is that what I wanted to give them was choice. Choice to say, if I want to go back and live in Nigeria, I can, because I'm not afraid of it. You know, a lot of people who grew up abroad are afraid of Nigeria, because they've never right. lived there. Right. They've never experienced power failure. They've never experienced no running water. They don't know what it's like, and mm. they don't realize that it's not the end of the world either, yeah, no, because they've never gone through like, it. Keep right. it moving. Yeah, <laughs> but because he's been through that, and actually, last year, my whole set, my kids sat me down and said, Dad, we've not been to Nigeria for three years. Can we go to Nigeria, please? Oh, wow. Right? And mm. so last summer, we all went to Nigeria for two weeks. And on the way back, they were like, could we just stay longer? So that's what I wanted to give them. That, that's yes. the education I wanted to give them to say, hey, 
This is where you're from. Yes, right. you've got a British passport, and you have the privileges of being British. It reminds me of Paul when he said, Paul in the Bible, when he said, I'm a Roman, even though he was a Jew, but mm-hmm. he had a Roman citizenship. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, you have the privilege of having a, a British passport, and therefore it gives you, if you like, higher privilege, so to say, mm-hmm. but also you have roots in where you are. And mm. we all carry dual passports, as long as the government would allow it, so Nigerian and British. So you know that, hey, I am Nigerian as much as I am British. And so Absolutely. to your question, yeah. raising kids away from home, like I said, we were blessed that in one sense we've raised kids both in Europe and in, in Nigeria. Nigeria. And they've had experience of both worlds. And actually, yesterday, my daughter was on the phone to her grandma, and she was saying to her, I miss Nigeria. And, you know, and, and you don't know, as a father, yeah, that how that makes, makes me so feel. Warm. Yeah, yes. because I know that if I die tomorrow, they wouldn't feel isolated. Like, am I British? Am I Nigerian? Am I? Who am I? They kind of know who they are mm. and recognize what they are. Mm. So they're Nigerians by, by culture, that were born in the UK and therefore hold a British passport. Do you see yourself? I I would like identify you as like a global citizen yeah. in some aspects. Is Nigeria one of the places you see yourself living in the future? You yourself. I I, I have a dream of this is a dream. I mean, a couple of years, maybe in ten years from now, I'll have two homes, one in Nigeria, and mm-hmm. to some extent, for the last ten years, I've probably done that. Um, because when my kids were living in Nigeria, I went to Nigeria every six weeks. So I was there to take them to school, drop them off at school, and pick them up on a drop them off on a Friday morning, and pick them up on a mm. Friday afternoon, and then take them to school on Monday, and then jump on a flight to London. And so, wow. so yeah. yeah, so it's kind of like I love Nigeria. Mm. I I just take Nigerian small doses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, I right. mean, my wife has a business there, so. We're, we're, we're employing, we're an employing agency in Nigeria, and on a day-by-day basis, I mm. have to think about um, what's happening in Nigeria and taxes and everything. So mm. I kind of, I feel that I'm almost in that dream now where I have a reason to be in Nigeria every single year because my wife runs a business there, we employ staff there, um, we, my wife runs a music business in Nigeria, yeah. uh, and, and, and yet we, we live and we make money here, and you know, so it's kind of like I'm kind of almost in Somewhere my in place where I can yeah. decide and say, you know what, I just need a break. I'm just going to go to Lagos and see my parents and spend two days there and be back. And, yeah. and I can go and spend a month there if I wanted to. Nigerian food. Yes. How often do you have it in your house? Do you want to talk about jollof rice? <laughs> <or no? laughs> no, no, I'm just curious. Like, How no. often do you have... I, I, I would say our staple is Nigerian. Okay. Um, so we probably will eat Nigerian food, I, I want to say, every other day. And that would then be interspersed with maybe a pizza or, you know, a steak or, Pasta. you know. But, but yeah, we would have Nigerian. You could enter my house any time of the week and there can be Nigerian food in the fridge. So and plantain. This is, this and is, you have kept this a secret all this time that I've known you. <laughs> <laughs> then you, you have jollof rice somewhere at your yeah, house. Yeah, we wow. have jollof rice. Wow. And, um, my, my favorite food, by the way, is plantain. So dodo. Fried yeah. plantain. Fried plantain. That is my... And I can eat it morning, afternoon, and night. And night. That's... 
that's your thing. That's my thing. I, I think for me, I mean, I'm not raising children, but that's yeah. the most important thing. Like, yeah, cool culture and faith. Yes, those are very important things, but also equally important. Food. Food. Yeah. They need and, and, to and, know. And, and my kids, you know, if they, they're... So yesterday, my, 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 middle, my first daughter was like hungry, just came back from somewhere. And she just goes into the fridge. We've got plantain already sliced up, and that's where she fries. And, and then she, that's it. And that's then she, it. oh, I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love yeah. that. Okay, so we are about to wrap up. Okay, cool. Yes. I have one more question for yes. you. If we were to write a biography. If we were to, which yes. we're not going to, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would it be called? Uh, about you, yes, your biography. What would it be called? Just off the cuff, because I've never thought about it before. Yes. I, I think I would just call it journey through life. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and it's just because life for me has been a journey. Like, it's been a incredible, and it still is. Like, and I, I don't know whether, yeah, you said earlier when we were in a pre-conversation that I'm probably going to be one of the oldest people on this podcast. So I'm 52 this year. Okay. And it's been a journey. And every single time, and I, I looked at my parents, who've been married for 55 years, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've only been married for 25 years. Like I've got like still playing games. I've got like 30 years to still go. to go. Yeah. Like, damn. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I think it's just a journey, and for me, it's been a, a, a an enjoyable journey, and um, I'm actually looking forward to. You know, the next ten years, the next There's, twenty years. Now it's going to be also a different way. Like it's then it's like going to be a grandbaby stage, yeah. and then there's going to be a yeah, and so on and so forth. So well, you continue I, to journey through. Yeah, that. And, and and you know, I, especially when you turn fifty, you kind of get a bit philosophical. And um, one of the words, as that, you should, yeah. yeah. One of the words that comes to my mind when I turned fifty was legacy. So what is the legacy that you're going to leave behind? And for me. I just love to invest in the next generation. I just love to coach mm. and mentor, and I mentor people all over all over the world, literally. Um, WhatsApp, Facebook, LinkedIn. Oh, I love that. I, 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 I just I want to see the younger generation thrive because I knew how hard it was for me, mm. and and I just know that all you need is a step. You know, just need someone to give you that one, one lift, yep. one step in the right direction. Yeah. And hey, presto. Um, yeah. You know, you you kind of can make a good career. You could have a good family. Mm. You could make good decisions because you're not looking at yourself less than you're looking at yourself as you are. I just turned twenty five three days ago, and yeah. I was thinking about legacy. So I'm like, maybe I'm putting pressure on myself to think about something I should. It's like no, 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 no. Let's explore that for a second. Yeah. Right? So. At the age of 25, you're thinking of legacy, which means the world has accelerated so much mm. compared to when my father wouldn't think of legacy until, until you were 60, yeah. 60, 70. Mm. Why? Because you still have... You, you, by the time you're 50, you've not really done all the things you want to do. Mm. The reality is... Um, one of the bits of my career I didn't talk about was when I worked for Deliveroo, um, a food delivery agency. I was heading up a team of 10 people, and nobody on my team was over 28. So my head of technology, my head of policy, my head of administration, all these people were under 28. Mm. And, and I was 50. And it just made me realize that actually 
The world is moving so fast that actually the building blocks, not, no, no maybe not the building blocks, the blueprint of your legacy that you're going to leave or start to think about in 25 years from now. <laughs> yeah. It's being it's right drafted now. now. Right. But you have to remember you're drawing it in pencil. Hey, I'm going to name the podcast that. I'm going to name this episode that. What? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, I love it. I love yeah. it. Because you're drawing it in pencil. You can always erase it. You can always erase it. You can always start over. You can always start over. And there's nothing wrong in drawing something in pencil until you're absolutely sure that's what you want to draw. I, I'm going to put this on a t-shirt because I, I personally need to hear this. Yeah. I'm drawing it in pencil. You're drawing it in pencil. Yeah. And, um, and, if you, and that takes the pressure off, you know, and, and, you, and it makes you also approach life with an adventure. What can I do right now mm. with the paper in front of me? Mm. And it doesn't matter if I mess it up because I just erase and we and keep over. going. Yeah, and we keep it moving. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, Shola, said it right this time. Yes. Thank you so much for coming. There you go. Thank you for having me. Yes, this has been amazing. Okay, so, Shola, is there anything that you would like to plug? I call this the podcast of shameless plugging. It's okay yeah. to just plug in your mixtape, whatever else yeah. you're doing. Yes, anything you'd like our listeners to know about. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of plug some of my books. So I've written four books, f written and published four books. Oh, Probably wow. written about 15 books, but they're not published yet. So oh, they're, wow. yes. they're all waiting to be published. But I have four books that are available on Amazon. Okay. I would recommend um, the um, Kindle version of my fourth book, which is um, Four Things God Requires of Us. Four things God requires of us. Yeah, and you can Amazing. get it on Kindle. So, what what are the other three books called? So, the first book was called The Robe and the Blanket, mm -hmm. and it's about the life of Jesus and mm -hmm. how he was both humble and bold. So hey. he, had, he had a he had a he had a he had a a, a robe. Uh, um, sorry, he had a, a blanket of meekness. So everything you saw about him was kind of humble, mm -hmm. but he had a robe of boldness under that blanket. So he was super bold, but he was super humble. Okay. And, I, and I take uh, an script from Star Wars, uh, not Star Wars, from Star Trek. Sorry, not Star Wars, okay. uh, which is boldly go where no man has gone before. But when you go, you go humbly. You know, you don't go and say, "Hey, I'm the." Head of Star Trek, and I just go with a humble spirit. Right. And then the second book was about the Lord's Prayer, which we all prayed when we were kids, uh, mm -hmm. Our Father, which are in heaven. And um, I did a partnership with a, a company called Dick's Bible, and we kind of broke the Lord's Prayer into 23 elements. And it's kind of like you can read it on a day-by-day -day basis, like, what does our Father mean? Why did Jesus say our Father? Mm -hmm. And then the, the third book is on holiness, and uh, it's called The Highway of Holiness and how God wants a pure heart. And then the last one was about the four things that God requires of us. So okay. there you go. Those Amazing. Are my books. Thank you very much. And your LinkedIn, if anyone wants to reach out yeah, to you. Yeah, so you find me, Shola Shinoiki, on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to find me because I like business connections. Okay. But if you're interested in the pictures I take, because I love taking pictures, then look out for me on Josh Pub One. Fantastic. Thank you, Shola. Thankfully, Shola very effectively plugged himself. So make sure you go onto Amazon and get yourself a copy of his most recent book. Or just follow him on LinkedIn. His name is Shola Oshinoiki. That's S-O-L-A-O-S-I-N-O-I-K-I on LinkedIn. 
or you can reach out to him well at least he's open to having you follow him on instagram that's josh pub j-o-s-h-p-u-b and as usual if any of that went over your head just follow afrocone podcast because i'm going to link everything you feel me so yes i am about to go and take a nap and (laughs) recover from this painful tooth but i just want to let you know that if you have written a review or rated this podcast on apple podcast i love you if you haven't I have nothing to say to you. <laughs> and you know what? I laugh, but I'm actually not joking. Like, if you haven't rated this podcast, you and I are not in a good place. Like, I didn't even call y'all babes today because I'm I'm upset. So make sure you do that so that we can move forward in this relationship without anything holding us back. And yeah, remember, I will be back again exactly two weeks from now with another awesome guest. Her name is Wazanai Motsikatai. And I'll tell you something. Anyone who whose aura just commands that you say their full name, including their double barrel surname, is a powerhouse. <laughs> so the fact that I refer to her not as just Wadzi, but as Wazanai Motsikatai is enough for you to make sure you tune in again next week. Well, two weeks from now, because you don't want to miss that conversation. Um, Wadzanai is... I'm not even going to give you a snippet because I just want you to tune in. So I love you very much, even though I'm mad at you. Those of you who haven't rated the podcast, I do love you. So take good care of yourselves. Wear a mask out in public. And until next time, bye.